Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. I see a lot of you are still bringing your Bibles to Mass. I love it. I love it. All right. So when I was five, my career goal at the time was to be the uh, next Red Ranger, Power Ranger. I'm not sure why some of you are laughing. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Okay. So when I was five, I wanted to be a Power Ranger. I wanted to be the Red Ranger. That's why I started taking martial arts classes. My parents watched cops on TV, I watched Power Rangers, and I just didn't know there, there was a difference between what I was watching they were watching. And my thought process was, well, he's going to get old eventually, someone's got to replace him. So uh, that was my career goal. Five, six years old, I wanted to be a Power Ranger. A few years later after that, my, uh, I wanted to be a firefighter. My uncle, he was the fire chief of the uh, Hilton Head Fire Department. We would go down to visit him every year for vacation. and. Visit him and the other firefighters at the department, put on the helmet, put on the jacket, the boots, the whole gear, sit in the truck, pretend to drive it, right? It was so cool. Wanted to be a firefighter like my uncle. I always wanted, when we, I always wanted that, uh, for a call to come in when we were there, for them to be like, yeah, come with us. I'd be like, yeah, I'm on the hose, right? <laughs> never happened, never happened. <laughs> a few years after that, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Uh, our neighbor, he, was, uh, he fought uh, um, in the Gulf War. He was a really awesome guy, Marine. And uh, I just thought, I want to be like him. He was an amazing, amazing man. They, years after that, I wanted to be a doctor, a pediatrician maybe, family physician, help families, help kids. I was terrible at math and science. That was never going to work out. I had all these dreams. I had all these thoughts. I had all these ideas, right? When you get older, especially as you get into high school, people start asking you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? What do you want to study? Where do you want to go? What do you plan on doing after college or after high school? You hear that accent mark, though, in all those questions. What do you want to be? What do you want to study? Where do you want to go? What are your plans, right? You, you, you. Look, nobody in my life, nobody in my life asked me, what is God calling you to do? Nobody asked me that growing up. At least not until I was in high school and, uh, the brand new priest at our parish, Father Damien Ferentz, who I know a lot of you know, he's been here many times. He was newly ordained in 2003, came to my home parish, and he was just amazing and dynamic. And he would be up there preaching at the Life Team Mass, and he would ask us, he would say things like, you, you want to have life? You have to lay your life down. You want to be filled? You got to empty yourself out. You want the fullness of life? You got to pour yourself out. He would ask us, how is God calling you to lay your life down? He would ask that question over and over again. Honest to God, that was so impactful for me. It planted such a deep seed in me. It stirred me, 16, 17 years old, that question, how is God calling me, inviting me to lay my life down? If it wasn't for him asking that question, I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't be your priest. I wouldn't be here. I would never have thought about this. The Lord would have never stirred any of these desires in me. Because right? like, when I was a kid, when I was in middle school, high school, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. No one really does, right? I think Deacon Rich knew he wanted to be a dentist, but he's a separate case, right? <laughs> but no one really knows what they want to be when they're in middle school. When I was middle school, high school, all I knew is that I wanted life. I wanted my life to be extraordinary. I wanted my life to be amazing. I wanted my life to be impactful and meaningful and beautiful and filled with purpose. And I mean, I might not have been able to use those adjectives, but that's, that was the sentiment. I, I wanted my life to be amazing. 
And part of it was because I was touched early on in middle school with a deep sense of our mortality. There was a kid who sat next to me on the bus who in seventh grade took his life. One day he was there, the next day he wasn't getting on the bus. He sat next to me for years. And I realized early, early on, like thanks be to God, I realized this life is fleeting and fragile and it's over in an instant. And no one knows when that's going to happen, right? No one knows when that moment, like we say in the rosary, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. We don't know when those two moments are going to be the same moment, but it's going to happen for all of us. All I knew is that I wanted my life to be amazing. I wanted my life to be impactful. I didn't want to waste it. I didn't want to waste it. And I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Like, it's in all of our hearts, right? It is a desire in all of our hearts for our lives to be meaningful, our lives to be beautiful, a work of art, something powerful and impactful, that that dash between our birth date and our death date would mean something so much. But I want to speak this morning, I want to speak to the young men of this parish. It doesn't give everyone else an opportunity to tune out, just stay with me, everyone else. But men, my young brothers in this parish, I'm talking to you this morning. I'm talking to you because I know these desires are also in your hearts. John Eldridge, who's a Protestant pastor, a counselor, an author, he's become a great hero of mine. I've read a lot of his books. He's, read, he's written uh, Wild at Heart. It's a, it's a, it's a classic um, for men. He's written The Journey of Desire. It's absolutely extraordinary. But John Eldridge said one time, he said, deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. A battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Those desires are put there by the Lord. Those desires are from God, and they are good. But our culture and the enemy have co-opted those desires, hijacking them and offering men substitute counterfeits as solutions to those desires, right? Like, why risk an actual battle? Why risk putting yourself out there in actual battle, actual combat, when you can just sit safely in your basement and level up on Fortnite? Why step out the door in an actual adventure, an actual mission, going out in the world doing something actually heroic when you can just stay there, watch YouTube videos of YouTubers and influencers living lives of journey and adventure? Why actually do anything out of the ordinary? Why pursue a real woman? Why pursue beauty? Why defend a beauty? Why pursue a real romance when there's an unlimited digital harem available to satisfy a man's lust? Why do that? Deep, he says, deep in the heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And before the world, before the culture, buries those desires, co-ops those desires, shifts those desires into something else, your heart, my brothers, your heart, just like my heart when I was young, longs for a life of meaning, a life of passion, a life of purpose, a life of impact, right? So the question is, how do we find that kind of life? Is there a roadmap? Is there a way that I can achieve that? Is there, is there a way, is there a road upon which I can walk to find that kind of life? Is there a shortcut to that? Is there a safe route to finding that? The answer is no. There is no shortcut. And it is not safe. It will demand everything. It will demand everything. So my brothers, my, my younger brothers in Christ, the life your heart is looking for is not near the shore. It's not in the shallows where you can see to the bottom 
where you can cast your net strategically to haul in a few minnows. That's not where it is. It's out in the deep. It's out in the deep where Jesus is calling you out into the deep. It's so clear in these scriptures that we have this morning, this weekend, that the kind of life you yearn for, my brothers, the kind of life is not one where you are in control, where you're drafting the plans, calling the shots, mapping out the course of your life. I'm going to do this in college. I'm going to do this, this internship. I'm going to get this career. None of that. That's not the kind of life your heart's looking for. It's not. Ask Isaiah. Ask St. Paul. Ask Simon and Andrew, James and John. The kind of life, the adventure our hearts are looking for, it begins the moment we stop putting ourselves in the driver's seat, when we allow ourselves to be led, when we allow ourselves to be called, where you put yourself in the passive voice and say, here, Lord, here I am, send me, right? Because the 500-pound marlin, he doesn't swim in the shallows. He swims in the deep. The kind of life your heart is looking for isn't in the safety of the calculated shallows. It's somewhere out there in the deep where Jesus calls you out of your comfort zone to stop mapping out, planning it out, to get out of the driver's seat. And like he says, lower your nets for a catch. The futility of Simon and Andrew, James and John fishing all night, catching nothing. That is man planning and plotting his own life. The God who sits upon the throne that Isaiah saw, the God who sits in glory upon the throne with his garment filling the temple, his voice shaking the temple, that same God who Isaiah saw and fell down in worship asked the question, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? God's asking that question. I'm asking that question. The church is asking that question. That question is echoing in the heart of the church today. Who will go? I'm talking to you, my brothers. I'm talking to you, parents with sons. I'm talking to you, grandparents with grandsons. Who is going to give, who's going to give the sacraments to the next generation? Who is going to do it? Because the church does not exist without the Eucharist. You cannot, you cannot consecrate the Eucharist unless you're a priest. St. Padre Pio put it this way. He said, the world... It would be easier for the world to survive without the Son than to do so without the Holy Mass, without the Eucharist, without the priests, without the sacraments. And look, this parish, Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish, this mother, this parish has been so generous over the years, over the decades, in giving her sons to this. There's been many, many seminarians from this parish over the years, men who have been dis who have gone to the seminary to discern, to ask the question, to ask the hard questions. Lord, I'm done planning my life. Are you calling me to this? Help me discern. Lord, help me see where you're leading me. This parish has had many sons go to the seminary and become priests. But do you know how many we have now from this parish? One. And do you know his name? His name is John Hawkins. And he's amazing and he's brilliant and he's hilarious and God willing, he's going to be an awesome priest in a few years. And if you haven't spoken to him, if you haven't met him, you've got to meet him. You've got to encourage him. Write him a letter. Tell him you're praying for him. When he's home on break, invite him to your house. He'll love it. <laughs> 
Is it because Jesus has just moved on from Sacred Heart, he's done calling men from this parish that we only have one? Is that the reason? He's just looked at our parish and said, all right, well, I've got about what I needed from this parish. I'm going to move to a different field, see what I can find there. No. That's not why. It's because we're preferring the shallows. It's because we're preferring our plans. We're preferring the world. We're preferring safety and comfort. We're preferring that someone else take up the battle. And often, if you ask any vocation director this question, you ask him, what's the biggest obstacle that leads most men away from the seminary? They will tell you it's not the men. They'll tell you it's their parents. It is parents who want their kids to have, they want their sons to go to college, have a normal college experience. Whatever the heck that means. They want their sons to have a normal college experience, normal life, normal family life. We want grandkids. Guys, this was my parents' story. This was my parents were the biggest obstacle to me coming to the seminary. They're now my biggest fans, and how that happened is a sheer work of grace, and that's another homily for another day. But, listen, I heard a statistic recently that assuming that nobody dies in the next three years, somewhere in the ballpark of 30 pastors in our diocese are going to retire. 30. Again, that's assuming that nobody dies. We only have, we have 185 parish in this, parishes in this diocese. The vast majority of them have one priest. We do not have enough priests to replace them. We have a personnel crisis in the church here in Cleveland. And I don't think you all know that. I don't think most people know that. 30 shepherds are going to be gone from their parishes. 30 parishes will, will be without a shepherd in three years, if not more. It's unsustainable. It is absolutely unsustainable. Other dioceses in the, in the country, other dioceses are making massive strategic plans and moves to cluster and, and close parishes, restructure the diocese to reduce the, par the diocese from 200 parishes down to 50 parishes. That's what they're doing in, in, uh, uh, in Pittsburgh. Massive closures. And will that come to Cleveland? I mean, I don't have a crystal ball that's above my pay grade. Thanks be to God, I don't have to answer that question. But I'm going to tell you, honestly, probably. It probably will. But what we don't want to do, what I don't want to do, what I'm so sick of our church doing is just simply strategically planning our palliative care plan for the next five to ten years. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the church just figuring out how we're going to slowly and quietly die. How we're going to keep going with less and less. That is not, that is not what I want. Because something can be done about this. Something has to be done about this. It's like this. When's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. When's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. <laughs> Today. And look, y'all, I don't have a time machine. I can't go back in time and preach this homily 20 years ago. I'm here with you right now preaching this homily today. I wish I could go back and preach this 20 years ago, but I can't because, look, our church, your mother, my brothers, your mother, the church, needs men. I'm serious. The church needs young men who say, I'm going to put out into the deep. The church needs men to answer the call. Like, look, if you want, a, you want a battle to fight, you want an adventure to live, you want a beauty to rescue, my God, be a priest. Be a priest. 
There is no greater battle than the one we're called into today because, look, there is real, real evil in the world. I look back on when I was five, six, seven years old watching Power Rangers, wanting to be a Power Ranger, and I look at that movement in my heart. I wanted to fight the evil. I wanted to fight the monsters. What I didn't know then, what I know now is there are real monsters. The evil is real. And real evil needs real men to confront it. It needs real response. Who is going to respond? Who is going to respond? Look, look, the same impulse that moves a man to leap on a grenade to protect his brothers in the military in the front lines, that's the same impulse in the heart that says in a man, I will lay down prostrate on the floor and give my life away as a priest. It's the same place. You want a battle? Be a priest. You want an adventure? There is no greater adventure, I promise you, than this life. It is insane, and so insanely good to follow the Holy Spirit, to journey, like to journey into the depths of the mystery of God dwelling in my heart, to run after the one who's like the lion of Judah, Aslan, running after and hunting me. There is no greater adventure than being called into the unknown. There is no greater adventure than just saying, Lord, here I am, send me, I'll go. I don't know where and I don't know what I'll do, but I'll go. And my goodness, there is no greater beauty than the beauty of Christ, than the beauty of the church, than the beauty of Mary, than the beauty of a soul. The beauty of a soul, especially the prodigal souls, the prodigal sons and daughters who have run from home, who sold their birthright, who are throwing themselves into the buffet of the culture's poison, the beauty of the lost sheep on the shoulders of the shepherd coming home. There's nothing more beautiful. And who's going to go get them? Who is going to go get them? As our culture throws itself into oblivion over the cliff, like, who is going to go get them? Friends, the Lord is calling, like, and he is calling, he is calling men of this parish, you, I... You think, is he talking to me? I'm talking to you. If you've been looking for a sign, here's your sign. He's calling men to push away from the shore, to push away from the shallows, and to put out into the deep. Like, who are, who are the sons of this parish who are going to run into the building when everyone else is running in the opposite direction? Who's going to do that to find the lost sheep? to run to the prodigals, to share the, the only hope that the world has, which is Jesus Christ. Who's going to baptize? Who's going to confirm? Who's going to give Eucharist? Who's going to hear confessions? If not the priest. Friends, the world is crying out. You know it and I know it. And Jesus established the church to be the means by which the world's cry would be answered. There is no church without the priest. And the harvest, as Jesus says, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So again, I'm speaking to you, my brothers. If Jesus right now is stirring anything in your heart right now, a consideration, entertaining the idea, something like that, beg you to just say yes. Come talk to me. Come talk to Father Joe. Because look, I promise you nobody's going to be like 
getting your neck size to fit your collar today. I promise. You're not going to be signing on a dotted line. That's not what I'm saying. Well, all I'm asking is that we as a parish, you as parents, you as young men, that we would make this shift in our hearts. It says, I'm going to give Christ my first fruits, right? I'm going to give Christ my first fruits. Like to stop asking the question, what do you want to be, Johnny, when you grow up? What do you want to be, David, when you want to grow up? Ask the question, what is the Lord calling you to be? Because we are Christians, we are baptized, we have a, we have a destiny that's eternal. We are not secular humanists. Our glory is not in this world. Our glory is the kingdom of God. Stop asking the question, what do you want to be? Start asking the question, what is God calling you to be? I want us to make this shift, to seek first the kingdom, to give our Lord our first consideration. Because what so often happens is we say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do, and I want you just to rubber stamp my plans later on, tell me that I did a good job and I'm still good and holy, right? It should be the normal posture of every young Catholic man's heart to first consider priesthood. And only then, Jesus, then you convince me that I'm not called to this. That should be the first posture. It should be. It should be to seek first the kingdom of God. Remember that scene in the gospel where Mary Magdalene takes that jar of aromatic nard. It says it's worth several years' worth of wages. And she takes it, she cracks it open, she pours it out over Jesus' head. You know who's standing there and looking at this and says, this is so wasteful. We should have done something practical with this. We should have given the money to the poor. You know who that was? It was Judas. It's Judas who suggested do something practical. Do something practical with your life. Stay close to the shore. Do something practical, sensible. Right now we need men who are willing to crack open the alabaster jar of their life and pour it out on Jesus and do the wasteful, prodigal, insane, illogical thing of saying, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to let you guide my life. I'm going to take my hands off the wheel. I'm going to say, Lord, the adventure I want, the battle I'm looking for, the beauty I'm running after, Lord, you will lead me to it. The Lord is not done calling men from this parish. He's still asking, who will go for us? The church that's not yet even born, those souls are asking, who will baptize us? Who will tell us the gospel? Who will give us First Communion? Who will hear our confessions? Who will anoint our dying? Who's going to go? God is asking, who will go? I pray to God that this parish and you, my brothers, will respond. Amen.